Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Bender Bending Rodriguez and his shiny metal ass. Let's dim the lights. And Bender, dim your shiny metal ass. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Miss Fire. Watch the show that'll have you saying, excuse me, seriously, please and thank you. Catch Misfire Thursdays at 8, 7 central. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And we are doing it a little differently this week in all kinds of ways. Todd is on location <laughs> at his OG house. He's back in Austin, uh, which I believe means a movie night at least uh, once this week. Glad to have you around. I know we have a lot to cover. Uh, the The basic format of the show is we're filmmakers and we like to analyze and look at films to see what we can, I don't know, glean, um, what makes a good movie good and what makes a bad movie worse? Um, uh, all that said and out of the way, what are we covering today, man? Yeah, today we're covering The Hurt Locker. Yeah, I'm sitting outside here in beautiful Austin. Just got in last night. It's great to be back for a little while and doing this remotely. So I know the sound quality isn't as good. Apologize for that. I blame Apple. Uh, USB connections. And right after RVs. a whole episode where we discuss how important sound quality is. <laughs> exactly. You know what? This is important. To, to I wanted to hit it home. I wanted to really hit home about if you don't have good sound quality, this is the, the shite you get. In short, if you haven't seen The Hurt Locker, please pause this episode. Go watch it. Uh, there's spoilers all over the place. Absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll look at a few things. We'll touch on some of the cinematography camera work transitions or lack thereof uh we'll also dive into some of the story and writing the opening scene what's in the title and some other stuff um and we'll also have an interview with an army veteran uh a brother of the pod justin and so yeah we'll we'll hear what he has to say about i don't know the film and uh being a soldier and who knows what else um and other such stuff and things and stuff and a quick synopsis of the film. During the Iraq War, an army sergeant assigned to a bomb squad is put at odds with his squad mates due to his maverick way of handling his work. Directed by Catherine Bigelow. Screenplay by Mark Bowl. Cinematography by Barry Aykroyd. Starring Jeremy Renner as Sergeant Will James. Anthony Mackey as Sergeant Sanborn. Brian Gertie as Specialist Eldridge. Guy Pierce as Sergeant Thompson. And Rafe Fiennes as Contractor Team Leader. And the other box one. He has four children. Shit. Can listen. Can listen, Sarah. Sam, we got a timer. We got a lot of wires, man. I'm gonna need a little help on this. Roger that. Tell me what you need. Uh, the bolt cutters. We just gotta get down here in two minutes. We're all fucked. Roger that. I'll be there in thirty seconds. Sarah, Allah will you. He says, Please, I have a family. I know, I know. Just it's okay. You're all right. You're all right. Yeah, Rabbi. Yeah, Rabbi. Please, don't leave. Yeah, Rabbi. Yeah, Rabbi. You weren't fucking kidding. Nope. What's this made out of? Yeah. Shit. 
Oh man, that's case hardened steel. Shit. What's our time? We got two minutes. We're gonna need a torch to get this off. Well, we don't have one of those in the fucking truck, man. He's a dead man. Oh, let me think. Just let me think. Let's handle this. We're gonna have. It's okay. We got this. We got this. Good luck, sir. Just shh. Okay. I'm listening. Let me look at the back. Just, we don't got enough time, Sam. We don't got enough time. I just gotta, I gotta get these bolts off. No. We had a minute and a half, man. We gotta get out of here. No. I'll handle this. Just, just go. Look, Will. Come on, I'm, man. Look, I'm right behind you. Just go. Fuck him. Come on. Sam, what? I got the suit. Just go. Sam, you have 45 seconds. You have 45 seconds, Sam. Leave. He's a fucking dead man, Will. Go. Everybody get back. We got one. Go, get back! Get back! Get back! There's too many locks. There's too many. I can't do it. I can't get it off. I'm sorry, okay? You understand? I'm sorry. You hear me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry! Get down! Brutal scene, obviously. That's intense. Wow. And it makes it, I think, all the more intense when you realize, I mean, that's the first person we've actually seen. Uh, maybe not the first, but we only see a couple people die in the film from an explosion the opening and then about midway we have the uh the i don't know the corporal um who is just naive to the whole scenario um and then him right. and and that is like the first uh iraqi um that we see who dies in an explosion like mostly it's been americans up to this point and then you have all the uh the, the movement at the end right where everyone's just trying to scramble for cover and uh, then there's just silence right before the explosion and you hear him kind of praying like it's a really intense scene um, and just an interesting way to end the movie because that that kind of is our penultimate scene before we you know see him go home and everything so for one are you a, a do you go for war films in general um, and then like is this does Hurt Locker like is that is this your kind of movie yeah, this is, this is, it's incredible. Um, and it's incredible because of, of a lot of reasons, Jeremy Renner is perfect in this film. I don't, in fact, in all the movies that I've seen him do, I feel like he's more perfect for this film than any other. And, and it's my favorite performance of his, uh, for, by far. It was the first time I'd ever seen anything that Catherine had, had done, Catherine Bigelow. And it really opened my eyes. Yeah, I hadn't seen any of her work. That's and not true. Really, There's no way that's true. Well, not not that I knew of. Oh, not gotcha, that I, gotcha. I didn't notice. Yeah. I didn't yeah. like. I might have seen it, but I didn't notice. Mm. But this is her first film that I was. I looked at and I said, "Who did this? This is uh, incredible." And it's incredible because of of so many reasons. But to your point, we don't see a. It's a war movie, but we don't see a ton of people die. It's. And it, but it is about people dying. Um, but it's more about the, the stress 
of the experience of it, right? Like the, the stress of this thing could explode and either this one person or a lot of people could die if this guy does it wrong. And that's felt the entire film. Um, and it's pretty incredible how it, it's just a great example of a director needing a vision in order to make the feeling come across because you can get coverage for days in something like this and you could edit it together pretty well. But unless she had a vision from the beginning, it's really hard to do both of those things in congruence, right? To, to shoot for the edit, like you talk about all the time on the podcast. And I feel like she knew going in just exactly what she wanted, even if, if it turned out looking different Mm -hmm. than in her head, she knew what the feeling was that she wanted. And Anthony Mackie is fantastic in his role too. The the lines he delivers, I guess it was after this when they're in the Humvee and he's talking about wanting a son now, you know, because he wasn't before. He didn't want any kids. And then saying he wanted a son and, and everything were fantastic, right? I mean, it, he's a great actor and I, I've loved everything he's done. But, you know, it's so funny. So many actors, you think, Oh, he's, they're really good or he's really good, but really, you know, whether or not you see them as a, as a fantastic actor comes down to a line here or a line there in a, in a single movie. I mean, look at, look at Robin Williams. Nobody denies that Robin Williams is a fantastic actor in everything he does pretty much or did, but the monologue on the bench in Goodwill Hunting no one will ever forget that. It's like, but it's one scene, you know? And I feel like that was a great scene for Anthony Mackie. And it was really, the script itself was really well written for all the characters. Forget his name, but the, the, the sergeant who's, or the um, kid who's scared all the time. Eldridge. Yeah. Uh, Eldridge. Yeah. Perfect casting. The writing for him was great. Um, giving him the relationship with the therapist is perfect because he's scared to be there. You know, why would, why would Mackie's character need, you know, need to talk to the therapist? I mean, he, he definitely should and, and, and does, but we don't need to see that. We need to see Eldridge talking to him. And then, you know, like it just, it is really great writing, really great. Sh- I mean, cinematography is fantastic as well. I mean, you, we talk a lot about handheld versus, um, versus, you know, locked off and everything. And, and I feel like, you know, there, you have some movies like born identity and everything where they're shot in a way that's, that's handheld in order to, to make it feel very cutty, very like action packed. Mm -hmm. This wasn't like that, but it was handheld to make it feel action packed, you know? So we, we have low shots that are handheld and moving around while he's just by himself in a car trying to take the, the radio out of the, out of the deck of the car. And, um, like there's no action there, right? It's just him pulling slowly this radio, (laughs) but because it's handheld, we feel like we shouldn't be there. We're a fly on the wall. Like it's Mm -hmm. dangerous. This is, or we're feeling, we're feeling what he's feeling a little bit better. And, you know, obviously that comes down to cinematography and it was amazing, but Catherine's vision from the start, um, is just absolutely fantastic and flawless. I, I watched it again for the third time and like it was my first, it's just fantastic. I don't, I don't know. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. It's funny. And I didn't realize it until after we'd already programmed it, but 
we did this right after aliens. Like we had the, the pod episode in between. Um, but you know, she and James Cameron were married, uh, for a number of years. And so, I mean, no wonder they're, they're both, you know, fantastic directors, but she kind of blew up on the scene, I guess, uh, from point break, she directed point break, you know, back in Keanu Reeves early days. Yeah. 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 So she's a long time action director and like one of the greatest action directors, you know? Um, and I think you're right, man. She does make this feel like there's a lot of heavy action, despite there not being a lot of heavy action in the traditional sense, right? There's no, not a ton of gunplay and, you know, people just dropping like flies left and right. It's not that kind of war film. Um, it's a bit more cerebral than that. Even if they dial into the, the tension of every single moment, there's a lot of uh, cerebral stuff going on in here. And with that, like, I love it. I, I don't know that I've ever been able to put my finger on exactly why I love it. I know it's always spoke to me. Um, this came out in 2008, um, even though it's set in 2004 and that's a, it's an easy time to kind of put this kind of film out. Like you couldn't put this film out in 2004, um, when we were just invading Iraq, uh, because it was a very popular move at the time, you know, but you fast forward four years, you know, five years after the invasion and suddenly the Iraq war is not popular. You know, we're, we're, we're done. We're, we're tired of it. We're tired of seeing people going over there and um, the destruction, whatever. And so this becomes a much easier film to put out, even though, you know, it's, it's not very judgmental, like on, on the surface anyway, like it's not very heavy handed and, and making a, a moral, you know, call about this is a good war. This is a bad war. Um, or any of that. It's just kind of being, it just kind of lets the characters be, um, and you just sit with them, um, much the way that you were just talking about, like we're in the car, we're just sitting with him, but we're anxious because of the camera movement because of everything going on. And so, when this came out, um, yeah, I, it was speaking to me on a level that I couldn't put my finger on. Um, and I, I was glad it won best picture. It had some competition. Like this came out 2008. And so, uh, the 2009 awards, you know, there was a lot of heavy competition, uh, inglorious bastards, district nine up in the air, a serious man and education up and a few others. Uh, and like, those are, really good competition glorious bastards alone is like dang like you be you beat that um and if you know hurt locker won yeah and so it's tough it's uh there's a lot going on but cinematography wise like yeah a lot of zooming a lot of panning and tilting around is very docu style so it doesn't feel necessarily like a movie it feels like they're they're just documenting the war and all that camera movement and then precision adds a grounded realism, right? We're in a war zone, so it should feel chaotic and unpredictable. But I love that there's no normal coverage. None of these like wide establishing shots and oh, there's a close-up when something important needs to be emphasized, right? We're gonna make sure we direct the viewer's attention. Don't forget this trigger or whatever. Like they don't do any of that. Instead, it's all mashed up all mashed together, which heightens our experience as a viewer and trying to navigate the film language, right? All the normal cinema language that we know is gone, right? Much like the soldiers in Iraq, all the normal language that they're used to is gone. And so everyone's on their heels and trying to figure it out. Um, and so they do a really good job of kind of placing us in their situation just through that. But shooting that style is intimidating, right? Loose camera work can be very tricky if you're not used to filming that way. Um, because you have to be very 
comfortable, you have to commit to imperfect shots or you stray away from the subject, right? Like, oh, you know, normal cinematography, there's my main character. I'm going to put him right on whatever, whatever your framing guidelines are, the right third, you know, and he's not going to move. I'm going to track him perfectly through that. You're not doing none of that here, right? You're just, you're swinging the camera around and it looks like you don't know what you're doing and what we're supposed to be looking at. Um, but it all edits together really, really nicely whenever you have the right editor for the project, which of course, you know, they do. Uh, and so you're, you're zooming in and out, right? Some of it's planned, some of it's improvised. Uh, like I can imagine these, it all looks completely improvised, but I guarantee maybe 80% of it is like very, very planned where, you know, Catherine Bigelow's, talking to her, whether it's Barry Aykroyd, I don't know who's camera operating, but they, they both are probably talking to the cam op and they're like, Hey, we're going to start this scene on a close up, And then whenever he delivers this line right afterwards, zoom out, like punch out really quick to get into a wide or, you know, and now we're capturing the scene from this angle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she's watching on the monitor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was perfect. Um, next time after you go to that wide, he's going to deliver this other line and then punch in on this other character. Right. And we're going to get you, get his reaction so that you're trying to as much as possible, get all this coverage chaotically within the frame in a way that feels uh, fluent in this new language that they're developing. Like that takes a lot of work to make it look like it's not a lot of work. <laughs> like it, it, it's, it's beautiful. Like it really is amazing. And I actually bought the lens that they use for most of this film. Cause most of this is shot in super 16, um, which is, you know, a, a film love language. Yeah, man. And it's beautiful. The texture, the grit and the grain really speaks to, you know, like uh, the, the grittiness of war. Um, and it makes you feel the heat of the day and um, it just plays really well. And so most of it shot on film, they do like a handful of slow-mo shots where I don't know what camera they were using. I, I would have thought of Phantom. I wonder if they have it in the, the specs. They just say an HD, HD cam. Um, I don't know. And so, yeah, I, I really loved the look of the, of the film. So I was like, I want that lens. And so I dropped like five grand last year um, and, and, and bought it. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to shoot, you know, uh, a film on, on that lens. And so... It's beautiful camera work, very like precisely laid out, even with its seemingly imprecise feel. And that just adds so much to, you know, the, the viewer's experience and trying to catch up, right? Because you can't really blink too much in this film, even though there's a ton of edits. Edits usually encourage this kind of blinking nature for the viewer, but because of the, the, the language, the camera language, you are forcing the viewer to not blink so that they don't miss something. Um, and that's a very intense feeling as a viewer to feel like you can't look away lest you, you miss out on a, an important shot because you don't know what's important and what's not important. Again, much like these characters, he doesn't know what's important, you know, uh, so he has to scan and look at everything, you know, scan your sectors and, and whatnot. And so the other thing, you know, camera language and editing wise that I really liked is there are virtually no transitions in this film. Everything is hard cuts. It's very sudden in between scenes. There's no transitioning, right? We don't just, oh man, we're, we're done with that mission wide cut, establish the uh, army base, you know, Baghdad. And now what are they doing here? Nope. We cut from a mission straight into what are they doing in their off hours? Straight into another mission, straight into, you know, a mission after that, straight into video gaming, right? It's just 
chaos and a lack of regiment um, and predictability. And I love that we're just constantly hard cutting in, in and out of things because you don't know what's going to come next. Oh my God, we just left the suicide bomber. What's going to, Oh, what are these kids doing on the car? Oh, we're in a grocery store. <laughs> what are we doing in a grocery store? <laughs> like, and you're just getting your bearings and it feels very uh, emotionally connected with what, what everyone's going through. With that in mind, uh, Let's let's see what uh, my my big brother has to say. Uh, we're gonna get my brother Justin on the line, and so and and I don't know, get a boots on the ground perspective. I'm gonna be an idiot for the next like 20 minutes, so y'all are just gonna have to get over it. I love it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right, so right now we are joined by my big brother Justin. Hey man, thanks for joining the show. <laughs> oh no, thank you for having me. Very cool. So a lot of a lot of places to start here, but just for my own edification, you know, I I, I don't know what you're like. Uh, you you left the the military as a sergeant, corporal, general, master, uh, Heidenreich. Like that's all a thing, right? <laughs> I, 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 okay, so y'all watched the movie. Y'all saw Sergeant James. I left the same rank as Sergeant James, Sergeant First Class. Okay, while we're still on that, again, for my own edification, you, you left as a sergeant first class. Right. Do you know what Trav left as? Sergeant uh, E5, if I'm, my memory serves correctly. So to, to set it up, you got Private E1, PV2, Private 2, PFC, Private First Class, Specialist, which is an E4, which was uh, Eldridge in the movie, mm -hmm. right? That was, He was a specialist. You could also have a Corporal. A Corporal is also an E4. Then you have E5, Sergeant. You got Staff Sergeant, E6, Sergeant First Class, and then you got Master Sergeant or First Sergeant, and then you got Sergeant Major. Nice. Okay. So you outrank Trav then? Oh, yeah. I outrank Trav from, from jump. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I want you to know we're all very proud of you, Trav. We're embarrassed. <laughs> We talk about it all the time and all the family get togethers and you just, <laughs> oh, you yeah, embarrass no, us no, all. No. <laughs> you know, it, it, but it was never about that. You know, it, yeah. it, um, it you know, I don't know. Uh, Y'all can't see on the wall, but I got pictures of, of when grandma and grandpa hide and rank when they first got to get, uh, married and grandpa was in his, in his, uh, his dress uniform and as a matter of fact on my wall. So, you know, and it, it, it really starts there, and then, you know, Grandpa Evans and some of his pictures, which I also got hanging on the wall behind me. And it kind of – it was a trickle-down, and that no. that really served as the, the 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 groundwork of what really started in, in my heart, you know, uh, on that, that service to country. And it, and it was it, – obviously, it was a trickle-down uh, from there. And then, you know, growing up, then we heard Dad's story about some of his stuff that he did. But, but I mean – and then when you, but when you really reflect on it, you know, on the, in the way, way back machine, grandma and grandpa and, and all the stuff that, that, that we, you know, when we go see their house and the stuff on their walls and that, that was just a massive impact. And that was really where, where it really all started. So, yeah. So how old were you when you signed, when you joined up, uh, enlisted and how long did you serve? Just before the start of my senior year. And I was 18 at that time. And when I shipped out, I had just turned 19. So that was June of 97. And then I retired after 20 years. Cause you were deployed to multiple countries, right? Where, where have you been stationed around the, the globe? Korea, Panama, Honduras, Venezuela. I did one tour in the Middle East. Some folks, they, they have a, a year-long tour. Some 
some some units they they have very short tours you know three months mine was a four-month tour nice i assume i mean i know you well enough to know that you like war films and is this how does hurt locker all right i got my notes Oh, okay. Uh, you're his brother. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, with that's, the notes. I'm <laughs> so, okay. Before you dive into that one, do you like it as a general film before you start like picking on it, which is all too easy <laughs> to do with Hollywood films? Hey, look, you know, uh, okay. So as a film, absolutely yeah. enjoyed it. You know, yeah. when the first time I saw it, I remember thinking, yeah, you know what? Not overall, not a bad film, even though like the, the nitpicky part of your mind goes, Eh, BS, BS, eh, okay, yeah, BS, you know, you, you want to kind of pick it apart for the inaccuracies, but at the same time, there were some accuracies, all right? Like, uh, just the way they they showed certain things, like the, the terrain, the way that that some people interact, like, like how Sergeant James interacted with the little boy. You know, there, there are people, you know, soldiers would interact with, with little kids like that, build that rapport, build that, that friendship. And it wasn't just about building a friendship to gather information and all this other junk. I mean, people miss their kids, you know, they miss interacting with the kid being something normal day to day opera, you know, day to day life. And watching the movie, I, that was my interpretation of it. He was just missing his, his son, you know, he was just wanting to, wanting to feel normal, just five minutes of normal decency, you know, and, and that's, there were some things right on point. And then there were some things you're like, that is complete hogwash. <laughs> what, I guess, what set off your BS detector? Like, oh, uh, that would, that would never happen. Or the consequences of that would be just insane. Okay. So the first EOD tech was in the bomb suit and just like, boom, he was gone. Right. Let me tell you, first off, they use those. They really do those little robots. Absolutely use them. Right. Mm -hmm. They, they use them. And a lot of times they will just blow stuff in space, in, in, right in the spot. You know, mm -hmm. they will absolutely, a lot of times, things just get detonated right where it's at. That's the end of it. I yeah. mean, they're not going to waste a whole lot of time, you know, going out unless, unless there's going to cause mass casualties. That's the only reason that a lot of these guys will go in and defuse things, but they'll send the robot and they'll let the robot do as much as they can. All right. Beyond that, boom, detonated. All mm -hmm. right. Now that guy, when he, he took off running, I'm here to tell you, I wore a dog bike suit. Okay. So I can tell you as clunky as that is, Man, it's hard to run it. Now, imagine having to wear that, that massive bomb suit. Now, I've known a few EOD techs in, in my time when I, was, when I was still doing the military police thing. And they will tell you that suit is just heavy, heavy, heavy. All right? Now, this is some of this is just personal belief. Some of it is just, just memory-serving uh, uh, old conversations. But when that dude took off running, he probably would have hit the, hit the ground at some point and just let the explosion pass over him all right because the shrapnel alone he would have known as a tech that shrapnel is going to just it, it's gonna just gonna flail and, and, and it's gonna shred my body so is that is that like the safer play if you know you can't get far away to hit the ground absolutely absolutely because well you know, I mean in the grand scheme i'd rather sacrifice my legs than my head than my than my than my upper torso but you know, because as the explosion is going out, it's it's going out, and hmm. you know, very rarely is it going to go out along the 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 flat plane, right? So he he had a better chance, and he would have known that. Yeah, hit that ground and let it let it pass over as it's 
as it's deflecting out. Hmm. I wonder too, if that, if the explosion, like just to play devil's advocate, because he also set his own C4 on top of the explosion. So I wonder if that also, you know, flushes it down as well. You know, and he may have, that may have been one of those things in his mind, like, oh man, I just added, added more, more bang to this buck, you know, you know, and I, you know what? And I had not considered that point. I had not. I don't know, me either. Like I'm just spitballing here because I'm a jackass, but. (laughs) But, you know, and there's actually like uh, in some manuals, if you see an EOD tech running, like even the book says, keep up with them. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, that's like legit stuff. You see tech running, you keep up with them. Drop what you're doing. You know, it, it's a running joke, but it's actually like yeah. part of their training. They see another fellow EOD tech running, they're going to try to keep up with that joker. They ain't going to ask questions. End of lesson. Know? Yeah. <laughs> another another thing, you know, uh, to go along picking apart this movie, the 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 uniforms they were using, they were just introduced in that year, and everybody there had them already. Hogwash. Because <laughs> when I got there. I got there the year after that year uh, that movie was supposed to be taking place, and we were still wearing desert camouflage, not huh. those ACUs. Okay. Right. Then everybody, almost everybody, had all the battle gear to match the uniform, except James. He was the one that that had like the one-offs, yeah. but everybody else matched. I'm telling you, when I got there, we still had people that were mismatched. You know, a year later. That's so. interesting. I mean, I, that's clearly intentional because it's not like oh, they yeah. can afford. Because your, your was, the movie was made four years later after the fact. So they right. were just going with what they saw. So. But I think it's interesting from the standpoint of on an emotional level, it's, there's a difference between if you start looking at who dies and why they die. Maybe if you start trying to parse out uh, the justice of life and death in this film, you can see that in, in a lot of ways, James is trying to blend in. He's trying to do the least amount of destruction in Iraq. Right. And so maybe that's just one of those little subtle elements of, yeah, let's give him something that, you know, plays to his emotional intention of being a part of this country instead of being one of the people who are, you know, just cause that, that Thompson in the opening, like you said, like oh, yeah. the, the yeah, yeah. plan a and plan B and plan C is to detonate. It's not to go and yeah. prevent a detonation. And I think there's some logic film logic that I'll, I'll play with a little bit after we jump off of you that I think that they're playing with. And I, I never would have picked out the uniforms. Uh, so that's a really interesting, you know, uh, extra wrinkle that, that, that they're adding. Oh yeah. Well, there's more. Oh, I'm sure. Wait, there's more. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how he's always smoking in the Humvee. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I never did it. I'm not going to say I never did it. All right. But he does not realize what he's doing while he's doing it. There's a reason why you don't smoke in the Humvee. Where he's sitting, there are batteries underneath his underneath his behind huh. that are flammable. So you don't smoke in the Humvee because they're they're it's minute, right. but you can set those battery batteries off and create a, a massive hazard. That's right? funny that it like the, the smoking is more dangerous than all the bullets. <laughs> right, right. No, but you know, like I said. I'm sure even in the filmmaking, they didn't realize the hazard they were creating. Every A lot of people do it. Like I said, I myself was guilty of it, uh, but I knew what I was doing. I knew that there was a hazard underneath my ass. You know, he may not, uh, you know, Rick, Jeremy Renner may not realize that, you know, had he. Or, or his character probably didn't care. Let's be or honest. his character. Absolutely. That could have absolutely yeah. been like. Drop that thing right there. I don't care. You know, life is life is cheap. You know, we're, we're in the middle of, uh, of, of a war zone. So, 
Yeah. Oh, another another thing. Speaking of smoke, the smoke between him and his team, where he said, "I'm creating a diversion." Not going to happen. All right. Got it. Hollywood. He's making make you know building that conflict between him and him and uh, Mackie. You know, but dude, yeah, that's 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 bad mojo there. Um, bad things because now you're not just creating that smoke screen between you and your 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 Overwatch, but you've completely separated them. Anything happening to you? It's not just pick, you know, them finding the people between you and them, but you know, anything happens absolutely by the time the smoke cleared, you know, you could have been snatched up and now now you're you're being paraded around by by insurgents. I mean, picked off like any number of different things. So yeah, that's that's just uh, I once again that's Hollywood at its finest. But uh, right, yeah. and I think they also do a decent job of like illuminating the audience to that fact, right? The the frustration okay. that it creates, you know, in his other sergeant and uh, specialist is just like they a lot of anger, a lot of upset people going on there oh, yeah. and then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that it was all about creating that conflict yeah. between them. And, so. and, and I'll come back to that. I'll, I'll come okay. back to that. Did you did you ever really quickly? Did you ever know anyone in the service that had an attitude like Renner's character? Oh hell yeah! <laughs> they just didn't care. They just got a chip on their shoulder about everything. You know, they, they uh, absolutely. It, it, and it's not just about being when they were deployed. I mean, they're they're just people that that you know. But but we see that in society everywhere. You know, people just rant, you know they 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 think the world is their oyster. That you know whatever they're doing, they're the best at it. And nobody can tell them anything, you know, and that they, they create those, those elements of, of frustration, anger for other people. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've met, I met tons of, them. you know, and have I ever been that guy? Probably to somebody else, but not intentionally. This guy, like he, he sets out to, to just piss his team off every chance he gets to just, you know, whether I, and I know it's intentional, obviously it's intentional. You don't do those things without, you know, making it, making it so obvious, but why? Yeah. So let me ask you this then, uh, as a, as a up, why do you think, like, I have ideas of why I think his character is operating this way. If you're just assuming that the world is the world and it's not just writers doing a bunch of random stuff to, to, you know, have a, have a movie, but what do you think his internal logic as a character would be to act that way if there were intention behind it? Oh, okay. So this real world, like, like me and him were in the same unit and I see him doing this stuff. My, I don't think it's necessarily that I, you know, a, after getting to know him, is it because he's an asshole, you know, to, to use the phrase, it's probably because he's probably seen, you know, judging by what he's doing, he's probably been a part of some things that, that he is obviously, cause you know, when he's picking apart the things, Oh, this is part of the UN, this is building blast, this, this, and I like this guy's work. He's obviously been through some very traumatic things. He's pushing people away intentionally, very much. He's pushing them away. I don't, I don't care about you. I don't want to know about you. And it's very obvious. He does not want to know about them. And you see it later on in the film where he's reach out to talk to the wife on the phone. Doesn't say a word. He, you know, when he rotates back, he's already justifying to his wife why he needs to go back. Hmm. You know, uh, that you know, just just conversate with him. He. He can't connect, you know, he, he can't connect even when he's talking to his own son, you know, he's talking to the, the son and he's trying to explain to the son, like, as you get older, you know, the things that you love, you're, you're not going to have as many of them, you know, you, you're only going to get down to one or two things left in life by the time you get to my age. So he, he's trying to justify to himself as well as explain to others why, you know, why he is the way he is, that, that he, he's, he's 
he's just trying to he doesn't want to feel things that he feels anymore he's pushing everybody away and that it's all intentional to the character and that's i think he feels i think he feels bad about that too that's a great moment to call out when he says because then he he says maybe just one or two things and then he says and then he follows it up with and maybe just one and and it hurts him you can tell that he's upset by he wants to want to be there but this the only thing he can think of is getting back to iraq and and doing that and that kind of leads me to a question that uh, I've been wanting to ask you. And since I knew that Wes was going to have you on, I like, I, I thought this is a, I mean, cause I know, I know a lot of people who have been in the military. I, I for one haven't. And I, uh, I just have the utmost respect and admiration for everyone who chooses to serve. But you mentioned earlier about, um, about Iraq and the possibility of going before you went is, is there a, is there, or has there ever been in your, your life or like in most people who serves life, this desire to go and fight, right? It just like Renner's character, he, he wants to be there. I don't, he doesn't necessarily want to be in a, in a gunfight, but he wants to be on the edge. Is that, right. did that exist for you? The best way I could ever explain to anyone, did, did you play baseball, football, anything in high school? Yeah, all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. The best way I could possibly explain to anyone is imagine you practice all week, all season. You practice, you practice, you practice, you practice. And then Friday night comes and the coach says, hey, take take a seat. You're not playing today. And then the next week, take a seat. You're not playing today. And then the next week, take a seat. You're not playing today. Now, imagine that happens for years. And then and it's not because you're some John Wayne, got to thump your chest, none of that crap. But the time finally comes to practice your art and your craft. And then somebody says, take a seat. But there are other people doing the things that you've been trained to do, except now you got it in your mind. If he, you know, somebody's going, but they're taking my place. And, 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 it's, a, and it's, a very, it's a very deep feeling because that person may not ever get to see their, their parents their brothers and sisters, their their spouse, their chil- children, like it's it's very it's a very deep and conflicting feeling because I mean obviously the same can be said of you, but you you have an opportunity. You can there may be an opportunity for you to reverse those roles. Mom doesn't listen to this shit, does she? Mom doesn't listen to your podcast. She barely knows how to operate her phone, and so I've tried to get her to listen, <laughs> and she's like, "What's okay. a podcast?" I don't know why she's suddenly okay. an old Jewish New Yorker, but that's that's, okay. that's what she sounds like. <laughs> so I, I asked that for this. All my deployments were voluntary, like they, even the one in Iraq, they, they, I was given the option out. So I went because if I didn't, we we had two platoons. The, the platoon that was going, and then a secondary platoon, everybody trained up. So if anyone on this platoon did not go, there was another body that fell right in. So in, in quite literally in that situation, if I did not go, there was somebody there that was going to fall right into my slot. Hmm. And I could not imagine the guilt in my heart if something happened to that individual while I was sitting back in Korea. So and that, so that 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 the football analogy is the best way I can explain it. You, you train, you train, train. You want to show, not just that it's not about showing the world, but you want to you want to show yourself. Hey, mm. I can do what my training, you know what, what I've done. But then that if I don't go, somebody else is going to go in my place. 
So then, then you got that deep conflict and, and that's, so yes, did I want to go? Yes, because I wanted to know what all that training, if it was one, what was it, was it all that time and worth invested in going to rifle ranges, going ruck marching and running and push-ups and sit-ups and, and land nav courses and leadership courses and blah, 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 blah. Was all that time and effort and studying in, in the mentorship classes, was it all worth it, you know? And then when push came to shove, then you, oh, well, yeah, now now it's a bigger image, you know, a bigger, a bigger picture. If I don't go, this guy's got to go. So, yeah. Did I want to go? Yes, but not because I want to be like, thump my chest and go, oh, I'm a badass. But it, it, you wanted it was, to save someone else. Yeah. They'd say they, were gonna, they would end up sending somebody else. But also, I had to know if all that training was worth a damn. You know, hmm. did all that time away from my, my parents, my brothers, you know, uh, at that time, my two spouses, my two different spouses, you know, not at the same time, two different ones, you know, uh, but <laughs> We're was all that away yeah. from all them people, was it, was it time well spent, you know, uh, or was it all for nothing? So I, I had to know that for me. And I and assume, I, and, uh, just to, to tack on a follow-up question slash statement, but I assume the, the family business of, you know, uncles and our dad and grandparents and, you know, they all, if not every one of them, uh, most of them, you know, served in, in times of war, uh, or at least hot zones. Um, you know, and so that I assume played some influence too, just to be able to, uh, you know, have those conversations. Like if, when I come home, I know they're going to be able to relate and, uh, maybe I'll be, have another connection with them that I haven't had before. Was that floating around in your head as well? Believe it or not, everybody, every, you know, I know everybody thinks, oh, well, just, you know, cause, oh, dad went to Somalia. The one that I really wanted to be able to talk to was grandpa and his Korea, hmm. you know, how Korea, his, his thing with Korea, you know, that was the one, the, the one connection I really thought, well, when I get back, this would be the connection I can, I can really build on. So that, that one meant more hmm. to me than any of the other, the other conversations. Hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, our dad was in Somalia. Uh, was there any significant moments that happened around the time that he was over there? <laughs> any other films that that would tie in, uh, to, Oh yeah. Yeah. Black Hawk down. Yeah. Uh, are you talking about that or yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So yeah, that I, well, I was at Fort hood when that one came out and, mm. uh, but yeah, that, that happened. So that happened like a, a month or yeah. a month or so before he went, went there. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that would be interesting to to cover that film and and hear him <laughs> discuss some of the on the ground stuff happening uh, in the wake of that event. What? So you were in the middle of I don't know picking on uh, Catherine yeah, Bigelow. Uh, Continue. So, okay. Yes. Um, so another. Okay. You remember? Okay. So after the he, he did the smoke and he walked there and he pulled up all those all those uh, the, those uh, I guess they were like one oh eight or one five five. Anyway, he he pulled them all up right. That's what they call a daisy chain. That's very real. Like that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, Dude, they that, would shot, that shot when he pulls it up. I mean, I remember that shot from yeah. the first time I saw the film and being like very visceral. And then I, seeing it again, I felt the exact same feeling. Like, <gasps> like hell, it, <laughs> I got a little beclumped in that moment, to be honest. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, we had a mile long daisy chain outside of our gate in. in oh yeah. 
So it was a mile long. We had EOD come out there, and they, they you know they told them, hey man, we're gonna detonate this thing outside the gate. It's gonna be a mile long worth of booms. We're like, say what? You know, we had a daisy chain sitting right outside of our gate this whole time. Like, what the hell, man? And so yeah, it was like boom. You just kept hearing boom, 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 boom. Like what the shit? You know? So yeah, those are very much real. Uh, they, they they happen quite frequently. Are they usually like small in a small area like that? Like because he just I, pulled I, them up and they were all you don't know. Okay, yeah, yeah. that could have been a Hollywood thing. I mean, I imagine there there have probably been times like that where they're all wired up together, you know, for one mass boom. But but they would uh, they would you know chain them out, you know, on uh, uh, main support routes, MSRs, you know, so that way when, when cowboys come through, they can just start you know boom, you know, uh, do these IEDs on the side of roads and stuff. So yeah, that was that's a very real uh, thing. You know, during the movie, I, I felt like the the sniper the sniper scene. I felt that was the real turning point for their relationship. You know, when he when he gave him the juice box, and, you know, because he could very well just yeah. you know, sucked it all down himself. But no, you know, instead he was taking care of his man. He's like, hey man, you know. So I, I felt that was a uh, the turning point for their relationship on that one, as well as for that kid, you know, Eldridge, because you know, relating back to, I mean, at, at the beginning, I was, you know, I think that was about as I got some more picking apart here uh, here in a minute, but. But going back to the beginning of the movie, how, how you know, going to the psych, psychiatrist and, and talking with that guy and it just like obviously it weighed very much on him. Going back to that 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 sniper scene where where the guy at the railroad tracks, you know, obviously at that point that, that kid's like not he's not gonna re, re, repeat failures of the past, right? You know, my my clear to shoot and he's like, Oh yeah, do what you gotta do, right? And uh, you know, so he he saw the guy was armed. He's going to do what he's going to do, and, and he wasn't going to uh, let the haunting of, of what happened weeks earlier keep playing, keep playing through his mind. You know, so that that kind of closed the, the loop on that particular storyline. You know, that that kid was going to start moving forward. Now, speaking of moving forward, going back to that psychiatrist. Now, that uh, there ain't no other way to say it. That dipshit. Okay, there are stupid people out there. They got a lot of education, and they get rank, and they spend all their time in those compounds, and then they eventually they decide that today's the day I'm going to go out. Right? Not saying that you know all these doctors or anything, but there there are people that 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 have no exposure tactically, and then all of a sudden they decide that today's the the day that they're going to go out and start experiencing experiencing things, and try to be helpful, and then bad things happen because they know better, and all of a sudden. They don't know any better and they never will again. Right. So stuff like that really does happen. So as he's going out there, like trying to talk to those guys, eh, you know, move your stuff. And and, um, you know, clearly something something bigger was happening there. Everybody in the, in the in the movie could watch and could see it, obviously, as as outsiders like, oh, man, these guys. But something bad, bad about to happen. Right. But uh, that stuff like that really does happen. You know, people people feel that whatever their job is. Now is the time that they gotta they gotta go explore other options. They gotta and, and I get it. He's gotta know what these guys are, are seeing and doing. All right. But at the same time, hey, look, you know, you gotta be a realist. Pay attention, watch. Yeah. Don't don't be don't be stepping out and, and interacting, doing the you know. And somebody should have reined him in, sir. That's not your job. Sit here, watch, observe, shut up. All right. And nobody did that for that gentleman, and he paid the price. Right. But yeah, people people. Step out of their comfort zones, and and that that guy had to pay for it because uh, nobody reined him in. And uh, so, but that was stuff. one was, of the that was one of the roughest parts of the movie for me. That that scene with the boy, 
the body bomb scene, I think it's one of the, not the first time, but one of the first times we really see like the care that Renner's character has. I mean, obviously we see it when he's, a, when he's playing with the boy, he plays soccer with the boy and then he gives him extra money and, and all that stuff. But it's, it, I think it's such a great m- moment that later on we see that his character pays the price. So then when the, when the other boy runs up to him, he's like, I have DVDs. I have, he just ignores the boy. So he just, it's, it's, he put himself out there for this kid or not for this kid, but, but, you know, to, to acknowledge and to, to be a part of this kid's life. And he feels like responsible in a way, I think. And so he's, he's, he's on purpose, you know, going to avoid everyone from now on. Like, it's almost Mm -hmm. like, it's almost like a, a C you don't belong in anyone's life kind of, kind of a moment for him. And Oh my gosh, like, the moment he decides, you know what, we're not going to blow up this building. I'm going to disarm this thing and I'm pull, I'm taking him out of here, you know, kind of thing was just, was a super powerful moment. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not going to ask you any questions about that, Justin, uh, at all. And I, I just, uh, but it's a great moment that you, that you brought up in there that I just want to acknowledge. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it was very powerful, you know, uh, because once again, they're, they're, a lot of what those guys do is they'll just demo a lot of stuff right in, right in place. As long as the collateral damage will not be too massive, a lot of times they'll, they'll demo a lot of stuff in place. But that that was very, you know, because, I mean, it, it was it was very genuine, you know, because it was this boy deserves a lot more than, than what life has given him, you know. And then just for somebody to, to do this with, with you know, to, to have done that to a child and then to be doing that to, to the body, you know, yeah. not, not to have given it back to the family. And on top of that, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, how familiar you guys are with, with Islam, but that, that was like desecration of, of the body that, and that's yeah. like massive, you know, that, that's a massive no go. So yeah, no, that was, that was a very impactful uh, moment, especially for his, his character. And, 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 and it was just, you know, yeah. Were there ever any moments in the film that you looked at that you thought, I can't believe they did such a good job at that? Yes. After he rotates back. So when they're in the, uh, the commissary, the grocery store. Yeah, that's not a commissary. <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah. Right. So, I, I know what you mean. Though. I was just, I thought it was funny. <laughs> that was your first frame of reference yeah, was to call it a yeah, commissary. Yeah. So they're walking around and they're, you know, the wife is like, Hey, get this, get that. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, how, how do I put it? it it's uh, arbitrary, the arbitrary decisions. You know, get this box of cereal, get that. You know, that's that's like, that is so like on target, on point. The, a lot of that stuff is, it, it just seemed so arbitrary after, after coming home. You know, not just the grocery store shopping, but just small petty decisions. When, when you're, when you like, you, you take in, so much of, of what happens on a day-to-day basis, you know, the, the, the things that, that set people in motion, you're like, man, that's, it's so arbitrary, so petty, you know, it's, it's a box of Cheerios. Or it's, it's, you know, what are we doing for dinner? Just we'll get the Subway sandwich, you know, whatever. But it, just some of the arbitrary decisions we make day-to-day that, one, you go to, go to a theater operation like that, obviously a lot of those decisions are, are just completely taken out of loop. You know, when you go to you go to evening chow, evening mess, you're eating whatever they're giving you, right? So there's none of this. Well, what are we having for dinner tonight? You know, 
You just go, you eat, you, you leave, right? How are you going to spend your payday money? Where the hell are you going to go? You know, so, you know, so, yeah, uh, so, so many arbitrary decisions are, are, are taken away from your, your day-to-day life. And then when you, you return back and it's like, well, get this versus get that. It's a box of cereal. It's full of sugar. You know, it's one sugar versus another sugar. Who cares? You know, and, and that's, I felt that was just so on target. And, you know, just how, how you like, when you see him walking through the store, you know, just like this, this is it. This is that, that wide shot of, of the hundred cereals on the, on, it was just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get that. Yeah. yeah I, I, I like that. And I, I I mean, it was interesting just trying to parse how he was feeling. And I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to actually be a question I, was, I wanted to ask. Because you could read it in a lot of ways. You can read it as he's kind of paralyzed from the overwhelming decisions in front of him. Like what there's like Todd just said, there's a hundred boxes and they really emphasize it. And in a few of the shots, right, we open on this really wide, long shot of him at the other end of the aisle. And it's almost like he's being attacked by cereal. Um, right. And then he just kind of looks this way and then he looks that way. And he doesn't roll his eyes, but he you can feel he's feeling something. And it's it's just mix and muddy, you know, things happening all over his face as he just kind of resigns himself to grabbing a box. Like you said, it becomes this arbitrary. Does it matter? Do I care? Um, how could I possibly decide any of this? Like, let's just right. get it over with. Um, yeah. It's a level of disconnection. You know, it, it's these, these in the grand scheme of things, what do these decisions matter? It, oh. They don't, you know, one, one thing over the next and, and, and that was, that was very real. It, mm. it, it felt very surreal seeing that even the first time when I saw it, uh, when it came out, that, that felt more impactful than any of the other stuff in that movie, you know, when wow. they showed that, that in matter of fact, me and my, my, my neighbor, he, he was there during the same time frame. And, uh, and I told him, Hey, look, man, my brother's doing this, this podcast. We're going to talk about the, uh, uh, about the hurt locker. And that was the first thing he, he talked about. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, um, sorry, I just have <laughs> such questions. Uh, there's, it seems it seems like and tell me if if these overlap at all, but it seems like there's two different there's either two different or maybe maybe it's a little bit of both guys and, and girls who go into the military to like some some go into the military, you know, I think because like it's just a path forward. Right. It's like, OK, I I. I'm out of high school. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go do this. But if it's during a wartime, like, like in Iraq or something, it feels like Renner's character is a little bit less like I'm going to take this because I don't want somebody else to, to take it. And more like, this is where I belong. And so is it, what I'm getting at is that scene, right? So you mentioned, man, you know, who cares about choosing cereal? Right. And I get that. But there, I think, and I think you probably fall into this category. There's these guys and girls who go fight, not because, you know, like I want to, you know, because I want to fight for your choice of cereal. It's because I want you to have the choice. I want everyone else to have the choice, to be able to have that arbitrary choice of cereal. Of course, when I get home, I don't give a shit about cereal. (laughs) That's not why I'm fighting. I'm not fighting for the cereal. I'm fighting for you to have that choice. Um, right. And so I guess my question is, my long question is, 
how is it is it there are two different pe- types of people the i'm fighting for you to have that choice and or i just feel like i belong there i want to i want to just to be there to be in the middle of craziness to to feel the rush and and there's a little bit of both I think it was one of the things that the movie was wanting, wanting people to think about because right at the beginning, it, it, the, the quote, you know, war is a drug, right? And yeah, it, it is. And, and I don't think necessarily war, but just the the excitement, the adrenaline, you know, that, I mean, that's why people skydive. That's why they do rappelling. You know, they, they, they take on these extreme sports because just that, that adrenaline is just, ah, it's, it's such a thing, right? So that's part of it. You know, you, you just, you, you, you know, some folks are like that. They absolutely got to keep going for that for that next big rush. For for his character, you know, I, I think that's what they're, they they initially. It's all about spinning it that way. Oh man, this guy's just a a junkie for the rush. I don't think that at all about Renner's character. I think he's just become so disconnected from where he started out, and obviously in life, you know, having the the the, the family, the, the 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 son. You know, in in by the end of it, you know, he seems happier, but the, he feels like that's where he belongs, but only because that's where life is only started to make sense for him again. Because that's that's become the new norm. You know, things things jive right for him there in, mentally. You know, not because this is just my my thoughts. I, I don't think it's that he's he's looking for the rush. I just think that's mentally where focus comes back into play where he feels normal, where he feels right, where it, it, I think that's, that, that, that's where, you know, not necessarily home is, but that's where everything, he feels more balanced. I see that. That makes sense. So I think it's interesting to look at him and his actions in another way, because I think everything you're, you're talking about and everything you said about him is, is accurate, right? That all plays. And I think that's right right all right there um, in line with everything you experience with him throughout the film. I think there's another layer that you can apply to it um, rightly or wrongly. Um, but I think the layer is there for, for close inspection, which is if you look at the opening scene where we, we meet Thompson and his bomb squad, right. And it's still Eldridge and Sanborn and you immediately feel their camaraderie, right? They're all clicking mm-hmm. together. It's all good vibes. Um, there's jokes, right? And that that's a team. They're very tight-knit, even though you can hear uh, Eldridge in the back sometimes asking stupid questions. Right. But the, they don't focus on that. They focus mostly on you know all the good stuff happening. Um, and even right. whenever he's in the middle of retreating from the bomb, like they start going on about Sanborn and Sons, right? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the grass company, you know what we need? This comp- this place needs grass, right? And so you have all this happening, right? And then he spots a guy. He's got a cell phone, and ultimately he freezes, right? He's running, but he freezes in his decision making capacity. He doesn't make the right call uh, that ultimately leads to Thompson dying, right? And by the way, I love that. Uh, it looks like the shockwave is what kills Thompson, not the uh, the blast itself in, in that the fire, the debris or whatever. I love that because uh, it adds another layer of realism. Most films that an, an explosion happens, if the fire doesn't touch you, did it really hurt you? Like, right. yeah, right. yeah, yeah, it does. Actually, that's not how that works. <laughs> and so in just a great use of slow motion to like Todd was saying at the at the opening before you hopped on. Like you just feel it. You feel the kinetic energy. You feel, you know, the details, the, the 
the sand popping up off the ground and the rust rising off the car. Great use of slow motion there to just drag out this uh, terrible, terrible moment. And of course, I love that they cast Guy Pierce as that as Thompson, right? Lulls us into this sense of complacency, right? He, oh, he's our lead. That's Guy Pierce. Yeah, we're safe. This everything's. Oh no! Uh, and they even give him this 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 moment right before he puts on the helmet. Craving a burger. Is that strange? Right. It's such a great human moment where, you know, you just imagine what he's feeling and um, that he has a future ahead of him, right? Where he gets to eat a burger, right? It's just a very basic human element. Nope. We're going to kill him right now in front of your freaking face. Um, And so you now know that we're in completely unpredictable waters. You are not safe here. This is not a safe place. And by contrast, it really sets up uh, James and his tactics, Because I think if you were to apply this layer of looking at what those good vibes bought Thompson was death, right? Whereas if you look at James frustrating his team, even though in some time, at some points, really bad tactics, it kept them all on their toes. It kept them edgy and ready to do what's necessary. I feel like he and I think there was some intention only because there's that moment before their second mission together when they're in the, the the bathroom shaving up and he's like, hey, uh, Sanborn turns up and he's like, we need to get some things straight. Like, that's not cool. That's not how we operate. And Sanborn's just like, oh, don't worry, man. You'll get it. <laughs> like, that's his whole conversation. <laughs> and you're just like, wow, no, you don't get it, bro. You know, but if you start, you know, accumulating all these ideas of, well, what did like all that other stuff, these, these, doing things by the book or at least being on good terms with your teammates. What did that buy Thompson? It bought him death. Um, and maybe by doing, you know, something contrary and, and having conflict amongst ourselves will keep everybody on their toes. Even though, of course, it almost bought him a bomb in the field, right? Where, where he goes down to grab his gloves and You're he right. has his team right. really thinking about, you know, these things get, uh, are finicky all the time, man. <laughs> um, right. But I think if you were to just apply some some good grace to his methodology and say there is a method to his madness on top of, uh, and maybe it's just a really good excuse to not connect and to be this disconnected human being, the shell of a person uh, for all those other reasons that y'all have been talking about. I think that's all true. Maybe it's a good excuse, but I think in his head, that's how he rationalizes it is that I'm keeping everyone frosty. I'm going to come home and I need them to be that way in order for me to, uh, to, to have a shot at, you know, because I think too, maybe his rationale of not sending in uh, the bomb car is the faster I get out there, the faster I can come out. Whereas if I end up having to go out there, I've lost 20 minutes of setup, you know, and, and that 20 minutes I could have gone out there, disconnected the bomb and completely deactivated the threat. And so, yeah, I think you could make a really strong argument for James having a very strategic rationalization for, for his methodology. I would Ask too. So there's that moment towards the end whenever he goes on this hunt. Oh, this was leading me into a, a bigger point because you were talking about war as a drug. And so he goes and he leaves the base, right? He's upset because mm-hmm. he misidentifies the, the body, right? He misidentifies Beckham's dead body, which is really 
it, it makes sense. It's endemic to leaving your own culture and going to another, right? He's culturally blind. He doesn't pick up on facial differences in, the, in this uh, people group in Iraqis. That's fine. That's not racist, you know, because if I, if, if I were to go to all three of us went to Asia, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people in Japan that would be like, yeah, you're Todd and you're Todd and you're Todd. Like, well, no, we're three different people. Like we're just white with brown hair and it all looks the same to you. That's fine. There's that that's endemic to, you know, leaving your, your, your culture. And he, of course, misidentifies Beckham's body. Uh, and of course the whole disarming the, the boy's body was really disgusting. Um, but I also like that James has an understanding of the effects of war, right? He has this moment where he's uh, at the very beginning. There's that crazy um, moment with the taxi cab driver and he stops right. him with his pistol and they have this really amazing dramatic moment um, where you can see he he's taking it seriously, but he's also not looking to kill this guy. And of course he ends up shooting the guy's window out because the, the citizen is just frozen. Right. right. And he, he, I don't know how that operates to be in your own city and having a foreign terror uh, invader there. Like, what does that do to me? If suddenly, you know, our Austin is filled up with Japanese soldiers, like you on the one hand, get numb to it on the other hand. Uh, so if there's soldiers on the side of the road, whatever, I need to get across town. And then he realizes suddenly that, Oh no, 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 no. This was the wrong move. And at, at the end of the scene though, James makes this crack, right? Well, if he wasn't an insurgent, he sure the hell is now. Um, right. And I think he's making a, that's that's a writer's commentary about the effectiveness of war in another country, right? Um, you create insurgencies and radicals in all kinds of ways. And sometimes it's one really bad moment uh, that can turn someone from average Joe citizen to we need to get these people out of here. And it happens in the blink of an eye. And he's making a commentary about that. But then towards the end of the film, he's out for blood, right? They killed Beckham. Um, my one, like, I think y'all said it really well. Like, this is my identity with home. It has become through this little boy. And it's my normalcy. And they stole my normalcy. And I'm going to get this bomber who, who thought not only he deserved to die, but decide, decided to, you know, desecrate his body in this uh, way to attack me. And so he gets this uh this dvd seller this you know uh, merchant who is syrian if you were to you know assume that he's just not a general flag uh flag fan of syria because he's that guy is actually rocking uh, a syrian flag in his car um so he's not even iraqi right he's a syrian guy and he takes him hostage has him take me to beckham or take me to whatever and this guy drops him at a random house. He's like, yeah, that's where you want. <laughs> and he just yeah, burns yeah. out, <laughs> which is a great play, right? I'm going to take him to uh, a place where he has to scale the wall. And now I can get away. Yeah, that's great. And now James invades this house. And it's a professor inside who speaks like 30 languages. But James is looking for a bomber, right? The bomber that killed Beckham. And so on the one hand, you feel like, oh, this is the movie. This is our moment. We're going to get the bad guy. This is the guy that he's hunting. He's got all these, like your first time watching this, you think that this is going somewhere and that he's collecting all these switches. Right. And so ultimately he's chased out of the house by the wife and you're just like, Oh, this isn't going anywhere until the scene after this, where you think, Oh, we're onto something again. And of course he's not, he's 
just, you know, frustrated and looking to take out his, his frustration however he can. But that whole sequence feels to me symbolic of the war itself, right? Where you're wrongly invading someone's house, looking for something that isn't there. And ultimately, you know, you're, you're chased out, embarrassed and humiliated. And I think this is where the, the opening quote really has the strongest um, effect is in light of that idea, that concept where war is a drug. And I think if I were to really apply that holistically, I would say America is addicted to war in the same way that an addict is addicted to drugs. Like we just had this really, and you can peel back all the reasoning and logic behind that because there's always good faith reasons, right? We have, it's like we haven't learned from any of these other wars that we've been in, in the same way we went into Iraq, you know, full of emotion and assumptions and blah, blah, blah. But I think if I were to apply like, the the underscored very subtextual lesson that the movie is touching on even if not like rubbing your face in it at all i think they and we talked about this before you hopped on justin is that they do a great job of just kind of being we're going to explore this one character and see how he feels and what's the day in the life like and we're gonna it's a bit of a character study um and within that you can apply lessons and ideas about war itself and its impact on people and um and largely how america fits into all of this uh, that's all there if you want it and if not that's okay too you can still experience this movie uh without feeling politically uh, maligned uh, which is nice you don't usually get that in war films usually it's always no finger wagging and like good guys, hurt. bad guys. This is my message. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And that's one of my beefs with some films like uh, American sniper and black Hawk down. Um, and even, and those two are on one side where you're very much dehumanizing other people groups, like uh, in, in just the worst way from an American point of view. It, but then you also have it the other way, right? Catherine Bigelow's follow-up was zero dark 30, which is a garbage film uh, because it's all propaganda. Like you just, you got too close to your uh, the CIA and your uh, DOD advisors. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, all right, you you did one good thing. You couldn't let it go. <laughs> you had to you had to do it again. Um, but that's a whole other bag of worms. Um, yeah. So I have a couple more questions for you that are much more. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of hand signals, like, and so I'm. I'm curious if that is something that you train and like have classes on, or if it's something you just kind of pick up along the way, how much is that deliberated in, in your training? So uh, when, when you first go through training, they do teach you certain, certain hand signals, you know, get down forward, you know, stop stuff like that. Right. But it, it's one of those things, unless you, you repetitively train on it, you, you eventually like there, there, there are many different hand signals, right. You know, uh, you got, you know, see, uh, was it ceasefire? I think is one of them. So like, if you don't, if you don't continue, if you lose them, use them, you, you will absolutely forget. So there's, there's a lot of different hand, hand signals to, you know, like how, how are you going to enter a room? You know, you're going to, you're going to hook, you're going to like, there's all sorts of stuff. So if you don't use them, you will absolutely forget them. And so when they're like doing certain things, some of them, I'm sure some of them are absolutely made up for the movie, but they're, they're. Yeah, there are some hand signals that, that are like truly legit, you know, like, hey, you know, we're, we're going, you know, get down and yeah. Whenever he comes back from that mission, uh, 
his own little personal vendetta. Uh, he's reentering the base, and that's a whole ordeal. Have you ever experienced anything like that, or seen, or what's what's okay. your take on so that? As an MP, okay, as an MP, you got people coming in. Yeah, you're gonna get the spotlight on you. And, you know, in, in a situation like that, yeah, they're gonna hit you at the spotlight. They're gonna yell at you. They're gonna tell you get down, and they're gonna come up and they're gonna you know probably search you and blah 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 blah. Right? You know, you're gonna and when he's like showing his his, his badge. And when he's when he's like, I ain't gonna lie. When he said I was coming from the whorehouse, there was probably some realist. Yeah, that was probably a realistic response. I'm gonna let you in if you tell me exactly where it's at. <laughs> that was probably a moment of truth because I could see one of my countrymen there for, yeah. for eight nine months going. <laughs> so uh, I could see that happening in in that respect. However, coming in the middle of the night, if anyone snuck off 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 the installation. They would probably try to go the exact same way they, that they, they they left out. So hmm. I'm not gonna. We we used to have these guys in curfew or uh, in Korea we had curfews, and apparently some of my guys would the 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 housing outside of our fence line was so close they could like they would jump over the fence and uh, get out after curfew or if they were creeping back in after curfew they would they would jump over the the wall of like these apartment complexes and get back into the into the camp I'm like what the hell good are these fences if you're building them you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah so nice. where there's a will there's a way and you know he came in if he'd have come in running he he'd have he'd probably been shot versus you know come in you know hot uh, throwing his arms up so he probably would have wanted to come in you know arms thrown up slow pace talking. There would have been a challenge and password at some point, uh, more likely, like, hey, today's challenge and password. Uh, I don't know if it had been a post-wide thing, but anytime you're going out the, the, the fence line, there's there's certain procedures that are followed. In old school army, there was a challenge and password. Hey, the there's a, a challenge and password and then a running challenge and password. So if you're running and something bad is happening right behind you that you could just say a, a word and then without question, you can keep running and then whoever you're running past will, will start engaging Wow. Oh, wow. And that's those, those are different. Those, those would be different. Yes. Because a challenge a password is uncle Bill sells jelly. And then somebody would come back with, mm-hmm, I love jelly. Okay. <laughs> you know, it was always something stupid, you know, like the roosters in the hen house. Then they would say something, you know, in response to it. Um, and then where uh, you're right. Running, right. And then uh, the running password would just be, you know, just something random, you know, tuna fish, tuna fish, tuna fish, you know, just some random yeah. catchphrase or something. And, and those, those are only good for like one or two days. And then you change them because you never know who's listening. Hmm. Okay. Nice. See, well, that's I all I got. Think. Todd, I don't know if you have any uh, final questions. This has gone about 50 minutes longer than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> you answered a lot of my questions actually. And, and, uh, you know, I think, I think this is a much longer conversation as well than what we've got here. Uh, I, I have so many questions, to be honest. Um, but re- about this movie, it, uh, I think that you've shed a lot of light, and, and thank you very much for your service and and uh, for everything. I mean, I will uh, leave honestly, and for your insight here. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave you with this last thought. You know, where, where he's getting hammered and he puts on the EOD tech helmet. I will just say, we all do drunk, stupid shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, glad to be here. I, I am I am a mere servant to the pestle. So if you guys ever need anything, y'all y'all give me a holler. All right, man. Uh, thanks a lot, bro. If you want to hop off, man, I I really appreciate you making the time. No, no, not a problem, not a problem. Thank you for having me, and y'all have a great day. 
So the last few notes here uh, on the title. I thought it was a great title. One of the things I really loved about it uh, was that it, it works in a lot of layers. Right? On the front, just on the, the surface, it's a very machismo thing, right? Put him in the heart locker kind of thing, right? Take him to the woodshed. And so this is very on its face. Uh, meaning that you can kind of derive from it about delivery of pain. Uh, but there's also kind of a subtle hint of emotional symbolism, right? Locker itself sounds kind of tough. Um, I love, you know, locker room, sports, physicality, but hurt also sounds softer, emotional. So a hurt locker, I think also reflects the inner turmoil, uh, maybe referencing like PTSD uh, and just kind of the stuff that, you know, you go through and the stuff that you hide away from the world um, as a result of this experience. And then on top of that, I also think it reflects the nature of a bomb, right? A bomb being this cage of pain, right? So a hurt locker uh, is like you're waiting to explode and inflict its devastation on everyone. So I think all those things kind of play in harmony with the subject of the film and just a really good, you know, turn of phrase that I, I wouldn't have expected. And in the, the movie itself, like war itself, you know, and the attitude. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. And I, I love, you know, the, there's so many unique and memorable scenarios that we, we bounce through. Right. And I think that's just such a great way to structure a film, plot out every interesting idea for a war film, tackling bombs, and then lay them out in a way to reveal character and kind of orient the audience. And they just did just an incredible job. And I love that we don't spend time fretting over which wire to cut. Right. It's a movie about bombs and never once are we talking about the red or the green wire. Right. He just does his job. The tension of, an, uh, of a bomb going off is, you know, that's going to explode is ever present. We don't really need to dramatize any further. <laughs> like that's that's it. We're good. We can like uh, just go. And I love that, you know, all the extra tension really comes from his relationship with the squad and relationships with the the, the Iraqi citizens. And, you know, so we have these all these scenes, right? The bomb that's tethered to a bunch of other bombs, right? The daisy chain that Justin was talking about, right? Pulls the wire and reveals all these buried bombs. That's such a visually striking, memorable thing. Like, same as you, man. When I saw that the first time, like, my breath stopped. And I've never forgotten that scene ever since. Anytime I think of this movie, that's usually the first thing that I think of is that him standing around all these bombs. And it's just a very helpless thing. The, the car bomb at the UN is super memorable, right? The, you have this bomb in a car trunk. The car gets lit on fire. Now he has to extinguish it. Then he has to like pull the car apart to disarm it. And he's throwing off his headphones. Like that's such a strong visual and memorable moment. And then I also really like the, the wipers coming on his reaction to it. And he's like, interesting. And I love it because it's really good tension through frustrating the audience, right? We're hearing this scratching noise and it's making us feel all kinds of things. It's making you pay attention. And what I like about that especially is it's so much better than these other forms of irritating the audience. Cause normally what films and TV shows do is knocking. They start knocking and they don't stop knocking or the, the phone is ringing and the phone just is loud and person is waking up and he doesn't want to answer it and he smokes a cigarette instead. And then finally, after 30 seconds of nonstop ringing and knocking, you know, they, they get to it. And it's so, if you, if it's 2020 and you're still doing that, you might be a bad filmmaker, like stop it. That's so annoying. And it's so derivative. Like I could understand eighties, nineties, even two thousands kind of playing that card 
Uh, but if you're still doing that, grow up. Like that's, it's, you're just annoying me at this point. Um, and you're pulling me out of the film. You have the sniper scene. That's super memorable and distinct. You have the body bomb, which I honestly forget. I don't know if it's, I just wipe it out of my memory every time uh, because it's so disturbing. But once you're there, it, it makes an impact. But yeah, every time I forget that that's in this movie, even whenever I see it, I'm like, is that, is that part of this movie? It's just literally like, I've never seen that before every time. And I've seen this, I don't know, five or six times. And then the missed IED right after, and then the tension that's all built up from the opening scene. And I, you know, I laid all that out earlier, but I love Sergeant James. I, I love putting him in all these situations and seeing how he react, reacts, how he responds, how he gets his team involved or not involved. Um, and maybe the best one, uh, Justin brought up like the, the juice box. And that's such an important scene because it shows that maybe he's not selfish and that he actually is team first, right? I'm going to take care of my guy and my guy is going to take care of everybody. Um, that's what's important. Um, and also love that moment where Eldridge opens fire because he's looking, Eldridge is asking James, Hey, there's a guy over here. Should I fire? It's your call, buddy. And he decides, shoots, and we hear James whisper to himself, good job. Like, yes, that was the right call. You did what was necessary. And so you can see him enabling his team to make their own decisions for everybody. Like the good of his unit is for everybody to be sharp and make hard decisions. And then we see how he reacts in a no-win situation, right? The suicide bomber at the end, that clip that we played at the start of this, the, uh, of this episode. Finally, he's in a scenario that he cannot control, that he cannot come out come out getting what he wants. And I love seeing him wrestle with that because you start to wonder, is he going to die with this guy? Um, because up to this point, you just don't know where his line is. What is his limit? And he finally, and I love that he's apologizing to the guy, a guy that willingly strapped on this bomb. That That is the impression you get. Like he changed his mind, but he also made that decision. And he's apologizing to this guy that he can't help him. Um, so you get a really strong sense of his commitment and uh, his his bigger emotional, um, you know, life going on inside. And and if I could add to that, it's Please. really important because he ch the whole time you're thinking, does this guy just want to die? Does does he even care? You know, it's kind of like you know everybody asks Alex Honnold, the guy who free soloed El Cap. Do you just want to die? No, he doesn't want to die, right? But this is all he knows. This is his his world, his life, and so he makes that decision to not die with the guy. I'm not, you know, and he runs away and he lets the guy die. But I think that was super important for him to choose for us to see him choose not to die via being blown up. Agreed. That's a, yeah, absolutely. And then trying to find, and I, I touched on this a little bit, uh, I'll go into a little more detail briefly. Is there any rhyme or reason to who dies or doesn't die? On the one hand, you know, you could, you could make a case that indiscriminate destruction is not rewarded or is punished, right? Thompson said, like I said, he's going to blow up the roads. If they want to lay bombs down, we'll blow up your roads. He wasn't worried about the destruction that he was causing and he dies. Um, the contractors, right? Those bounty hunters uh, that they run run into on their way back from uh, detonating all the unexploded ordnance. They, the wrench man, right? The guy who uh, we used up our wrench. How do you use up a wrench? Uh, we threw it at a guy. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, you can use guns, right? Well, that guy, the wrench man, he's the first to die. He gets he gets shot. He dies, ostensibly because he he 
threw someone for you know a wrench at someone um if you're trying to like find the the moral underpinnings of who dies and why and then of course the bounty hunter ray finds this character the lead contractor he kills his bounty right he sees him running away he sprints out. He's like, that's 500,000 quid to me. And he mows him down without a second thought and runs back excited, right? I forgot. It's dead or alive. And then, of course, he immediately gets uh, gets one through the chest himself. And then maybe is Dr. Cambridge's uh, naivete, is that punished? And he walks out and he's very, I don't know. I mean, hearing the way Justin was talking about it, it was like, this guy thought he knew what he was doing. He didn't. He should have. He should have known better. Um, and someone should have grabbed him. No one did. And maybe that is, you can't be that way also in a war zone because Eldridge convinced Cambridge to leave safety, right? Come across the wire and experience what I experience. But ultimately Eldridge fails to protect him. And I love that Cambridge dies by an IED. He didn't get shot. He died by an IED, which is the very thing Eldridge is trained to handle. Like that's his job. That's his responsibility. And that's what ultimately gets killed. And so that feels emblematic of Eldridge, uh, his responsibilities. And I don't know the rhyme or reason, like he convinced someone to step out of their, their, their duty. Um, and there was a, a penalty to that. And of course the same thing happens to Eldridge as well, right? You have James who convinces or orders actually, everyone to come out and go hunting for a bomber right down dark alleys. Uh, and ultimately it almost gets Eldridge killed, uh, but it gets him shot by James and that whole exchange into chopper is hilarious. Like he's just chewing him out. It's so good. And then, and then Sanborn's like, take care. And he immediately puts on this big happy face. Hey, come back safe, man. Take care of yourself. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Yeah. And then of course the, the suicide bomber doesn't escape either. So it's not like everyone gets spared, but maybe there's, there's some moral reason why the people who, who get hurt or die is there or maybe, or maybe not. Maybe that's just war. And at the end of the day, yeah. people just die in war. And if you try to attach moral reasoning to it, you're going to miss the bigger picture, which is that war kills everyone indiscriminately, whether you're reckless like James or whether you just step out one time. Um, it, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Uh, and that's just the nature of war, which I think is the the more realistic underpinning that, that, yeah, I like your, I like your point, your points about all of them, but I think that that's probably it. That's probably the, I think the main thing War gives no reasons. No, it really doesn't. Um, Yeah. And so that's pretty much all I have, man. I don't know if you have any final thoughts before we move into recommendations, but not that I hadn't, not that I hadn't shared. I mean, I, like I said before, I, I loved it. I, and a lot of the reason is what you said earlier that it, it doesn't really pick a side, going back to what you just said, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason necessarily for war, um, and who people die, you know, like, or what people die and why. Um, and, uh, I think it does a good job of calling that out, but keeping you stressed the whole time and doing, doing things like showing you Ray Fiennes and then killing him, you know, uh, that make you uneasy about all the characters, throughout the whole, the whole thing. So when you have this Maverick, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you could get everybody killed. And that could actually happen in this film because there's no real rules for it. Wow. So anyway, yeah, I, it's amazing. I, I think it thought it was a fantastic film. So good. 
Um, what are you going to recommend this week? Uh, one that I can't believe that I hadn't recommended before, to be honest. Uh, I'm going to recommend Full Metal Jacket, um, which I remember when I was younger watching and it really having an effect on me, not wanting to go into the military, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, but And it's a Stanley Kubrick film, I believe, and it's just un- unbelievably well written and acted and and there are a lot of ad libs in there that were not part of the script and i think that anytime you hear stuff like that it's always really interesting to go and and try to pick those out right uh so yeah definitely a seminal film for me nice good recommendation like kubrick um at his best uh and that was a film i grew up on for sure my my dad and would like to watch it and talk about you know this and that and so that was probably one of my first war films, like pure war films that I saw as a kid. Nice. Good reco. I'm going to recommend. So uh, we, we just watched a film about death and murder and um, all kinds of like really dark stuff. But you don't necessarily have to be overseas to experience, you know, death and loss and um, tragedy. Uh, I had a friend recently who had a miscarriage and that's profoundly difficult. So there's a book by elizabeth mccracken where she discusses her own miscarriage and it's a it's a beautiful story if you've ever if you're a guy like us we can't ever really know what that's like you can't really ever experience it she wrote this book and it's unbelievable it's so powerful and yeah it's called an exact replica of a figment of my imagination uh it's worth it read it if you ever want to just have an inkling of an idea so good so that's apparently as much as i can get out (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's okay. Wow. Amazing. Stay tuned. Oh, that's right. Next week, we're taking a uh, listener request. Uh, shout out to you who uh, sent us an email and was, uh, heard our conversation at the end of Aliens, I think, uh, or uh, at the end of A Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. And he was like, oh, man, I'd love to hear y'all you know, discuss the scene and a ghost story. And so uh, we have, uh, I don't know, we had a fun experience watching that movie for the first time. Um, and we'll, we'll, talk about that a little bit so stay tuned next week we're going to cover uh, a ghost story so don't forget if you're enjoying the show if you have not left us a review don't forget subscribe review drop us a note uh, if you want to talk about something on this episode uh, set the story straight like what it's really like out there in the bush or whatever um, like if you if you want to drop your own experience or comments about the film you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash the hurt locker and today's quote of the day is from general Patton. Who else, right? Moral courage is the most valuable and usually the most absent characteristic in men. I, I, I think that that's just a, it's an amazing quote. And I, I think that quotes like this from a military general go a long way. Because if you think about it, it, it I mean, to, it's hard for me to say anything about it because I haven't been in the military. But in the military, you have orders, in the military, you are just told do this. But hearing some something from like this from a five star general, four star general about moral courage is sometimes sometimes moral courage might go against your orders. What do you do, right? And uh-huh. so it, it's actually wonderful to hear a general say something like this. I don't think he's saying disobey orders, right. you know. But I do think that there is there is every man has has a line right and you have to it's your it's your duty as a human being to know what your line is right and and i think that war pushes that boundary more than anything else 
That's an amazing, amazing quote. Great find here. Yeah. And it's funny. I don't know if Patton was actually a good or a bad general. I think there's a mixture of views on him. I have zero idea. Uh, much like you, I've never served and uh, let alone have any kind of understanding of military tactics. I, I know like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what my brothers know. But I, I do love that idea of addressing, you know, the moral courage is highly valuable. And like you just said, like hearing that from a general uh, is really good to hear because moral courage never is easy, right? If you're in the face of a really hard decision to invoke uh, the, the most obvious thing in the world, right? Nazis were told to follow orders and they did. And that was no excuse for doing the right thing, right? That's that doing the right thing does not always mean following orders. And it's always easier in hindsight because all of us now say, yeah, of course I wouldn't have, you know, if I, if I had been there, you know, I would have done X, Y, Z. Yeah, maybe. And you would also realize that it's going to cost you your life to do that in certain circumstances. Um, doing the right thing is never easy or simple. It's always going to come at a price. Uh, and if you apply that to modern issues going around in the world, like I can't imagine being in whatever Gitmo being told to waterboard someone like, do you follow an order or do you follow your conscience and, and do the right thing? Because torture is illegal. It doesn't matter exactly. where it takes place. And so one way or another, you're, you're going to break something. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I don't envy the people placed in those circumstances. And ultimately this is why I have so much issue with our executive branch, but that's a conversation probably for never on the show, but uh, certainly another <laughs> <Yeah>. day. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a totally different podcast. Yeah. Different podcast. Um, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Wes, thanks for putting this together with your brother. I really enjoyed talking to him and would love to talk to him more off the air for sure. Uh, got a lot of questions, but thank you guys so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for bearing with us through our audio issues. You know, a little shout out there. Make sure that your audio is good uh, on a podcast. This is what it's like when it's not. Yeah, this is what you get. Uh, <laughs> um, make sure you join us next week. We'll be covering a ghost story. Very looking forward to that a lot. Um, and as Wes said earlier, make sure to subscribe, review us on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and share us with your friends. It goes a long way. It really does. Uh, and until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.